Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the entree musician and so are you. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Entree Musician Podcast. This is the space where we concentrate on the mindset, discipline, and focus of the Entree Musician. And today, zero exception. In fact, today is a very special episode of the Entree Musician Podcast because today you get to meet my teacher, my mentor, none other than Michael Elsner. Michael is the creator and director of the incredible online course, Master Music Licensing, in which I am an active student. He is also the author of the ebook, The Four Step Plan to Licensing Success. And you absolutely need to download it because it is free. But today's episode is not an infomercial. I did invite Michael on just to pick his brain and have him share his incredible wisdom, how he got started in licensing and what his perspective is on success as an entree musician. You will learn an absolute lot. I know I did, and which is why I'm calling him my new mentor, by the way. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this great conversation. Before I introduce him, you may not have heard his name. His name is Michael Elsner, but you have absolutely heard his music. Over 2,000 placements and over 750 TV episodes. I'm talking everything from The Real Housewives to writing uh, music for Buick and Audi and Skecher commercials and the Ellen DeGeneres show. I mean, he's just gone on and on and on. Back in the day, Hannah Montana, <laughs> all of that stuff. And Michael is the designer and founder of a great course for music licensing called Master Music Licensing. Excellent course. And I got to tell you, because we keep it 100 here at The Entree Musician, I am a student of that course. But you're not going to hear an infomercial. We're going to talk about licensing and why it's important for you. But Michael has a lot of great wisdom to share. And I invited him because I am intrigued by his career. Number two, I want to tell you this because I would like to say, like Michael, I have all of these placements, <laughs> but I don't because I have not yet submitted. It's been a year, but you can recall we did the podcast called Don't Fret the Reset. We had some life issues. We're back on the block. And I can tell you, I'm following this guy's course and I want you to know why you can too. So without further ado, this is Michael Elsner, my friend. Blessings to you, man. That is the best intro I think I've ever had. That was amazing. Thank you so much. This I've is going to be awesome. Three weeks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to be here with you, though. This is going to be fun. You are so cool, man. I am, you know, I am so intrigued with everything that I've learned about you and talking with you directly as well as behind the scenes. You don't have much online by way of bio, but... You've got some footprints, man. Yeah. Uh, I have a hard time talking about myself. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, um, 
and that's probably one of the reasons why I also have a hard time doing a lot of social media. Uh, it's it's just you know I'm not I'm not really the guy who's going to hold up a phone and you know hey here's here's my dinner tonight you know whatever. Um, right. Yeah. That gives you more <laughs> hits than actually talking about your music though. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, understood. So let's let's start at the top, man. I mean, uh, do you come from a musical family? You, oh you know, gosh, no. What's no. your degree in music, man? Uh, small town, not a whole lot to do. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in a town of six thousand people, uh, or at least the last time I checked, um, and uh, upstate New York. Uh-huh. And um, you know, I I got into music. I mean, there's there's more of a story in how I got into music. I actually had a medical issue. I mean, this is something very no one really knows this, but I actually had a medical issue when I was in first grade, and I couldn't go out and play. Um, um, I actually had a cyst that that it was a crazy story, but I basically didn't have any any bone in my jaw. <laughs> so so weird, and and you have a nerve in your jaw that controls all your facial facial movements, and so it was there was no bone, and there's this basically it could have snapped, and so I was basically I couldn't go do anything, I couldn't I go play, I couldn't go you know play in the front yard or anything like that. So <clears throat> you know this is like the Michael Jackson era, so you know my mom got me the Thriller album. And, uh, and that's kind of when it just started, you know, I'd, I'd have to sit in my bedroom and couldn't go out and play for, for a, a while. And uh, so I just got into music listening to, you know, started with that, you know, Michael Jackson. And, and then I just kind of acquired, you know, records. This is, you know, still vinyl records. And yeah. so I started there and, and uh, you know, it's always fascinated with music. And then um, when I was in, in high school, junior high, sorry, junior high, um, I played keyboards for a couple of years. I think started in like sixth grade. I got a little Casio keyboard and started doinking around on it. I, you know, uh, really got into, I really wanted to play guitar. And so um, uh, my mom was like, I think in like eighth grade, she's like, well, you haven't done anything with your keyboard. And I was like, well, if I learn these Beatles songs, can you buy me a guitar? So I had to learn these Beatles songs. And then finally, you know, convinced her. And uh, so, uh, so she got me a guitar. And, uh, and then I got into this is the later 80s so i got into some of the you know the rock bands uh and i was really inspired by a lot of the guitar players who were the technicians yeah um even like like obviously like the eddie van halens of the world and um and so it just started there and um i was just really really shy you know so i spent my high school years really sitting in my beanbag chair in my bedroom playing guitar (laughs) you know dreaming about you know leaving leaving that town and being a big rock star and of course that was the era mtv you know so it really all followed suit that along that path and and uh but then i really loved it i mean i fell in love with playing guitar and that was an instrument that just uh, I mean, like I, I was drawn to it, and then I loved the the challenge of it. And of course, listening to those types of guitar players who were technicians, I loved the challenge of, of you know, developing that ability. And and um, you know, I just that that was it. I found my calling. Wow. So what what happened? Did you go? Did you go on the road? I mean, did you run away from home? I mean, <laughs> I, I oh gosh, I wish I could have. Uh, <laughs> So I always wanted to go to music school. I was not able to go to music school. Um, so in 98, I'm sorry, 97, I finally had a chance, finally had the opportunity to go to music school. And wouldn't you know it, 
after so many years of just practicing and playing as fast as I could and all the crazy sweet picking craziness, I developed a whole thing in my arm called repetitive stress injury. It's where your tendons get inflamed and all the way from your hand through through the actual, um, um, oh, forgot whatever that, that little thing is that people sometimes get taken out. The carpal, uh, carpal tunnel. Carpal yeah. tunnel, yeah. And then like down into the elbow. I couldn't even, I, at that time I had a 1985 Honda Prelude and it was automatic and my hand was in such bad condition that I couldn't even hold the steering wheel to shift with my right hand. So I was really out of commission for a while. And, uh, and then um, a, by chance, a, a, a magazine called Mix Magazine was delivered to my house correctly. It was supposed to go to some other guys in a totally different neighborhood. Um, but that was my, I was like, there's a magazine and all these consoles and recording gear. And I, I read it and then I subscribed to it. And then um, that had to be, I guess it had to be like 96. And at that point I was playing in a band and, and I was only able to play whenever we were doing shows and I was fascinated with the recording process. And long story short is, is I ended up uh, in 97 moving down to Florida to go to a school called Full Sail, Full Sail yeah. which is a recording school. Yeah. And uh, because I was like, well, I can't play guitar, you know, yeah. uh, I was in such pain. So I went to Full Sail, learned production. And uh, you know, while I was there, my hand started healing up finally. And, uh, and I came to Nashville the day after I graduated. I graduated November 6th, 1998. I came to Nashville on, on November 7th, wow. 1998. And um, within, man. yeah, well, within a month and a half, I was already in the studio working on, you know, some, uh, actually one of those records back there is a double platinum album. And uh, I had earned that by January 1st, 1999. So within the first six weeks or so of being in Nashville, I had, uh, you know, worked on a record that ended up selling 2 million copies. So uh, I just dove headfirst in and I started making phone calls and showing up. And I didn't know the first thing about what I was doing, but I, I showed up and then hung out. And And the difference in my path was that I grew up in Woodstock, New York, and Woodstock has a bunch of big studios up there. So through the 90s, I would just go hang out in the studios. And, and I was always around studios, so I was very familiar with it. Yeah. Meanwhile, a lot of my other friends who I was playing in bands with, they'd go out to the bars. Gotcha. And I was never a bar guy. Gotcha. Um, so when I came to Nashville, <clears throat> excuse me, instead of going downtown and hanging out at the bars and meeting other musicians, I just went straight to the studios yeah. and started hanging out there. And then that's how I started getting work. Wow. And and I did that for four and a half years. And, uh, you know, did, did played on a lot of records and produced a bunch of records and um, worked my way up the chain, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, did a little touring. But uh, in 2003, I was 28. And all my friends had spent the last number of years out touring with all these big artists. Mm -hmm. And I was always in the studio working on their records, either playing on them or, or you know, engineering them or even mixing. Sorry, let me turn this off. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, so, you know, I got pigeonholed. Nashville's a small town. And I started really trying really hard to land the auditions. Mm -hmm. But I was known as a studio guy at that point. And uh, it was very hard to break out of. And so... In the summer of 2003, I thought, well, I'm going to go out to L.A. Let me just go see what happens out here. I hadn't been out there, but I thought, I'm going to go out and just see, see. Let me just go see what L.A. is like for the summer. Yeah. And um, I got out there on Friday, June 13th, 2003. And uh, I, I just remember because it's Friday the 13th, and it was in June. And, um, and by the end of July, I was playing guitar on a TV show. And I was working up in Malibu a couple of days a week at this composer's house and 
playing on a show. I mean, this was awesome. And then that led to doing some uh, films. My first film was Ella Enchanted with Anne Hathaway. And that was my first soundtrack. I played guitar on that. And, and you know, I just, I, I mean, it was, it was awesome. And here I was now in a whole other world. Again, I didn't know anyone when I moved there, but I knew the path that would get me in. And the, the path in was the studio route. And um, so that was really my path. And then I, I got on some shows, was playing on some shows and uh, met some music supervisors. And all the songs that I've been writing during my four and a half years in Nashville, because I was really trying to get a publishing deal while I was, I was trying to get out of the studio world and into the publishing <laughs> world. And I kept getting turned down. And so uh, so within like, you know, the first year and a half that I was in LA, I, I had an opportunity to, to give a music supervisor one of my songs. I gave her a song, uh, a CD, sorry. and. Um, Within two weeks, I had a featured vocal placement on a show called Cold Case. And that was a popular show at the time. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and so then that opened up that opened up the licensing world to me. And then, you know, uh, I started getting another song, and another song, and another song. And it just it just kind of started going from there. You know, what's interesting about your story and, and just for clarity for those of you who are watching, uh, the myth as musicians is you know it seems to be who you know who you know but you you went from new york to florida from florida to nashville from nashville to la without really knowing anybody were having a big connection is that right i moved to florida not knowing one person i moved to nashville not knowing one person and i moved to Flo to la knowing one person who had just moved out there about a month before and i slept in the corner of his room because he was a nashville guy who went out to la so one of my best friends and uh so theoretically i could also say that i didn't know anyone when i moved to la yeah. um but yeah yeah i didn't know anyone but you know there, there is that thing where people always like you know oh you got to start at the bottom and work your way up and i'm like why <laughs> why don't you just figure out the value you can bring to the situation and go to the top people and that's what i did it's i i looked up and it was probably naive of me because what did i know you know i didn't know anything but i knew that which helped which helped <laughs> did probably yeah probably not going to music school actually probably helped because uh you know but i probably did it 100 wrong but uh but you know when i came to town or either town when i went to either la or nashville you know I didn't want to work with the guys who were playing, who were, you know, slugging it out at the clubs. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to work with the producers who are making the records that I own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just being a stupid long-haired kid, you know, I was like, well, I guess I should reach out to those people and, you know, and work with them. <laughs> That's literally what I did, you know? And, th and that to me has been my, my approach to everything. It's, it's been, uh, and it worked for me both times, you know, uh, and it, very quickly both times too, because, but here's the difference and, and the key aspect to this, and I didn't know this at the time until I really looked back and, and but the key aspect here is, as I approached it with two mindsets, my first mindset was, I just want to be friends with them first. That's what I want to do first. The second mindset was, I can't approach them asking them to hire me because I don't have the skill set that a guy from Berkeley or a Musicians Institute or, or like an actual player who knows what they're doing uh, has. Now, I knew what I was doing. I just didn't have, you know, not having the education, the formal education to me was a big psychological deterrent because even though I studied this stuff like crazy and I got the magazines and the books and I learned theory and I, but I taught myself, I still had that mental block of, well, these other guys went to school for four years and they have degrees. I'm just some kid who learned in a beanbag chair sitting sure. at home. Sure. So, 
So that was a big hindrance to me through my 20s and through my mid-30s. I finally got past that. But, um, but you know, to me, my thought was, okay, I'm not going to ask them to hire me as a guitar player because they can hire other people who are better than me and have have, a, have proof of it. How can I... How can I be valuable to them to where they want me to hang out with them every day? How can I bring value to them to where they actually want me to hang out in the studio with them and be a part of the sessions? Yeah. And and that was my approach. <clears throat> and um, and I really focused on that. I wanted to be their friend first. Yeah. And then I just wanted to be someone who could hang out and provide value. And that's where actually the engineering background played a big role. Because I would get hired. Ultimately, they'd be like, hey, you know, uh, we need an acoustic guitar on this. Man, here, can you just want to go in and play acoustic guitar? Because they knew I played guitar. So I'd go in and I'd strum a guitar and I knew how to do it. And I was good. I really, you know, worked hard and I was always working with a metronome, you know, so I had good timing. And, um, <clears throat> but then I would go out and I'd hang in the in the room with them. This is in the early days of Pro Tools too. And they'd get frustrated. Oh man, I'd be like, what, what's going on? They're like, oh, I'm trying to move this MIDI. I, I got to move this MIDI from here to here. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, you know, you got to go into block mode for that. Oh, I don't, what's block mode? Oh, let me just show you, you know? And then it was like, now I brought value to that equation. That's right. And I did that for years. Uh, <clears throat> whether it was my Pro Tools knowledge, <clears throat> excuse me, of course, right when we start talking, I get all flimmy. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You know but, what happened um, to me before start, so. I know I did, I know. But, uh, <laughs> But I think I'm good now. But um, but then then to me, you know, the other thing that I brought was the mixing. And I would work with someone. Of course, these were composers who were like, you know, they are on a deadline. I'd be like, listen, if you ever need anything, you know, you need some mixing at like 12 at night, you know, call me. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll be happy to come over and mix. And I did a lot of that. I did a lot of late nights after they would go home or go be with their family. I was the guy who would sit in the studio and... Uh, that was the value I could provide until I got to that next level. Uh, so to me, the the approach to getting to that next level didn't mean starting at the bottom and interning and doing stuff for free for it meant how can I figure out what I can provide? And even to the point to where there was one engineer who I was working with and he, he was working on an SSL console a lot. And I remember I took the manual home for a weekend and I read a manual on like an SSL 6000. And uh, which is for those who don't know, it's one of those big consoles with a zillion knobs on it. And I learned, and this isn't anything I was interested in, by the way, but I learned how to run the automation on that thing. And to the point to where I, I was, I was his call, no matter where he went in town, I was the guy that he would call because while he was a great engineer, he didn't know the automation on the computer. So I would sit there and I, I, I'd bring my guitar to the session and I'd be sitting in the back practicing my scales or reading a magazine or whatever. And he'd be like, Michael, I need to, uh, I need to, I need to you know, set the trim so I can do some trimming on, on channel 37. I'm like, okay, let me just do, 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 do. You're good. And then I'd go sit down and, and I'd get paid and I'd be able to hang out with all these other musicians throughout the day and connect with them. And that to me, as much as I just did not enjoy that aspect of it, it paid off great after a year or two. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, that that is fantastic. That that's wisdom right there because you you plug yourself into the moment. You provide value for others. I forgot what article I was reading. This had to be five years ago. Gentleman sounded just like was it Graham? I think it was Graham uh, Cochran. Graham Cochran. Yeah, he's great. I think Graham said uh, he says uh, don't ask what someone could how they can help you like hey can you help me because musicians can be needy can be you know Maybe. hey i have this cd hey i have this yeah. song hey yeah. can you help me he says you know flip the question and say how can i help you 
Yeah. Hey, you're you're in town, you know. So, is there anything that I can do for you? Yeah. And the next time they're in town, they will definitely remember you. It, it makes me think of, of the scene in a movie called Forgetting Sarah Marshall, uh, where where uh, oh I forgot his name, but the curly haired dude uh, uh, who's like the um, who works at the hotel is coming up to um, oh, gosh I forgot all their names now, uh, but he's coming up to the singer guy and he's like he's like Here, here's my demo here's my demo and it's like yeah that's how most people approach it but you can't approach it like that you you have to approach it with value and and that goes even with the licensing that's so much of what I teach with the licensing thing is like look your job when you're licensing your music is to look at the role of those who are licensing your songs and your job is to make their job easier and your job is to serve them no matter what we do whether whether like i've been fortunate over the years to tour with big artists and or bigger artists and, and play on big stages throughout the world and stuff like that but even when we walk on stage we are a service to the people who show up who are paying the money just as just as much as being a service to you know like an engineer when i was sitting in the back being an assistant just uh you know learning learning the machines like that was i didn't want to learn the machines i'm a guitar player who wanted to write songs but i would learn the tape machine yeah. i would learn the outboard gear so that i could at least stay in the mix long enough to get to that next level and a lot of people don't want to do that and i get it because it's not fun but the reality is that no matter what we do even with licensing so much of licensing once we're done with writing the song yeah from that point forward all we're doing is we're serving our end users yes the whole part of the process just serving them serving them and when you make their job easy you remain top of mind and they will go back to you because people want to work with people who make their lives easier. Wisdom. So I told you <laughs> it's going to be a fun conversation and we're really just scratching the surface because I think this is a great reason and a great uh, way to segue into music licensing. But I, I want to, I want to kind of, um, ask some probing questions before yeah. we get into the course, because uh, obviously you've been working in the in industry for that time where you were submitting CDs and there were CDs on the shelves and there was this place once upon a time called Tower Records. And there oh, was yeah. this thing called a music industry. And we've seen that kind of shift into not just downloading, but everyone streaming. Was that the necessity for getting into licensing or was it just a natural flow for you? How, what was the impetus to say, hey, this is where the industry is going and I'm going with it? Well, initially, when I got into it back in the early 2000s, when I first moved to Los Angeles, it was, it was, it was the open door that I had for the music that I was writing. And, you know, I was living in Nashville prior to moving to L.A. And, and Nashville, especially in the early... 2000s it was very like the garth brooks country yeah, sure. you know or, or on the female side maybe the martina mcbride faith yeah. hill country yeah. and that was not my world as far as writing music went I, I was always you know the i was always the rock guy writing rock tracks and wanting to be in a rock band and so you know like i said I, like i said earlier i came from like the era of like the van halen you know uh, right. the 80s like van halen bon jovi stuff so uh it was it was writing country music was not my forte by any means and, or a passion of mine. And so that's why nothing really happened for me when I was here. But when I got to LA and I started getting those songs plays, and even though I was doing a lot of other pop based stuff, it wasn't just rock stuff. It was very pop oriented too. Yeah. Um, uh, that's how I started getting those, those placements. And at that point I was like, this is great. This is bringing in money, which is going to allow me to keep pursuing. At that point I was pursuing again, 
you know, a record deal, a publishing deal. I was still on that path. Um, that really started changing for me. I started getting out of that pursuit, actually, starting, I think, around 2010. Okay. Uh, I pursued that hard through the through the mid-2000s and the late 2000s, had a band in L.A., did a bunch of records, uh, met with, I think, virtually every record label during that time. I was working with other artists and meeting with record labels for them. And, and uh, uh, But, you know, I, I finally got to that point in 2010, going into 2011, where I was 35 years old, and uh, I thought, I've done everything I can, really, since I was 18, between New York and Nashville and here, you know, to do that. Those doors are not opening. I, I mean, literally, I'm kick, I'm beating my head against the wall. But what's interesting is that the doors that kept opening, every time I would send in my songs yeah. to a supervisor, it would get placed, or, or a couple of them would get placed if I was sending in a CD. And, uh, and it's interesting because I thought, this is really fascinating. I'm beating my head against the wall to try and get my songs heard, you know, in, in the traditional music industry. Yeah. But when I'm sending my songs out within, you know, a, a month or so, my songs are on these big TV shows or even films yeah. and I was making money from it. And that's what was supporting the other, you know, path. And finally I thought, this is, this is dumb. Why am I, why am I, why am I killing myself? And then dealing with all the emotional turmoil of like, man, no one likes my music at the record label, you know, but then I'm still getting all this success in the licensing world. And finally, I just had that, I actually had an epiphany moment and it, and it wasn't my doing. I was actually on a flight. I was on a flight from New York to Los Angeles, I'm sorry, from Los Angeles to New York. And just a bunch of things happened. I ended up getting bumped up to seat 1A and I ended up sitting next to an artist in seat 1B. And we you know, had a great conversation. This is still back when we had like iPods and I was sharing my, my favorite songs with her and she's sharing songs with me and we're talking. And she said to me, she goes, Michael, you've had a great career. And I said, I've had the most frustrating career you can imagine because I've always wanted this and, and I never got there. And she goes, every single person on this plane is, because I was, you know, she knew as I was telling her what I'd done, she was familiar with it. And she goes, every single person on this plane has heard your music, right? And I was like, yeah. Probably she goes. When I release a record, I hope that uh, you know. I hope that people hear one of my songs because one of my songs gets released. I hope that one of my songs does something and reaches enough people. But all of these people hear your music and they hear it on a constant basis. And I was like, yeah. She goes, that's success. And I was like, yeah, but okay. And I remember like over the next week when I was in New York, it was just resonating in my head. And uh, and I got back to California and I was playing on a session with a composer named Matteo Messina. And uh, he's done a ton of stuff. And uh, and and we took a break at one point. I said, I said, uh, do you like what you do? <laughs> and he goes, I love what I do. And I was like, why? And he goes, I write the music. He goes, I write the soundtrack to people's lives. I'm not a famous musician. I don't tour the world, but I'm writing. I get together with my friends, and I was doing a thing with him. It was him and myself and a drummer. He goes, I get together with some of my close friends, like you and, and this other guy. He goes, and we get to just crank out music and jam throughout the day. And in two weeks, it's going to be on a TV show. He goes, I love that. I, I write the music. I'm writing. We're writing the soundtrack to people's lives when they come home from work and they watch this TV show. And I remember at that point, I went home and that really resonated with me. And I thought, that's it. I didn't realize for the longest time that I'd been pursuing the goal of writing music as a soundtrack to people's lives. But I thought in order for me to accomplish that, I had to play in a rock band 
My songs had to be on the radio. I had to be signed to a record label. My face had to be on the cover of a of an, of a of a Rolling Stone, you know, whatever. And and I realized, you know what? I'm actually doing that, and I'm doing it in a broader way. Yeah, it's really quite amazing. And like when that hit me, it was like, it was like I'd been hit by like a a, a Mack truck, you know. And it was like, how have I been so oblivious to this for the last couple of years? <laughs> So fantastic. No, I I understand because that flight, I mean, she was giving you, you know, real juice because man, you know, she has her fan base, Uh but you've got everybody. You're ubiquitous, you know, that's amazing. So how does that epiphany develop into this wonderful course that you teach and that you, you developed? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that I had no plans on, on putting together a course. I had no plans on doing anything online, uh, any teaching online, anything like that. And, and I got to say that the the last two years, I, my course has been officially released now for just a little over two years. I officially released it officially, officially on September 30th, uh, 2018. Wow. It's my very first real, real um, you wow. know, enrollment that I had. I didn't know so, that. I'm a yeah. newbie. I'm a new student. Yeah, you are. Yeah. So it's, but, but, you know, the thing is, is that, uh, uh, I, I, I think looking back on everything I've been able to do and, you know, I, I, well, to, let me go back to this, to finish the story. So in 2011, uh, so like I had that big epiphany of 2010 ish, you know, 2011, I started my company, Sonic Trimmer. I started doing trailers. 2010 is when I ended up doing some stuff for American Idol, the two seasons of American Idol. Got the gig writing some tension beds for that show. And and I was doing a bunch of TV shows at that point. And, um, and it got to the point to where I didn't have to be in LA anymore. And because uh, all the people, I was, I, was, I was just going to my studio and I was cranking out music all day long. And then I'd, I'd go back to my apartment where I'd go to my storage unit and get some new gear I needed and then bring it to my studio. And, I mean, just stupid. And, and, I, and I realized, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to be living this lifestyle anymore. I don't want to be, you know, going to a studio and then going to my apartment and then going to a storage unit and going back to my, and it's just madness. And I wanted to, to live a different lifestyle. So, uh, so fortunately, you know, accepting licensing as really going to be the path and, and stepping away from the artist pursuit, um, opened up the door to go, okay, now I'm, I'm going to, you know, move elsewhere. And, uh, I ended up moving back to Nashville. I had a lot of friends here. I knew a lot of people in LA, but I had a lot of friends still in Nashville. Uh, Nashville is definitely very much a community. And, um, so I came back here at the very end of 2011 and I had started my company Sonic Trimmer with my writing partner, the, the, the trailers by then. And, um, and so <sighs> 2012, I landed a gig playing guitar for a country artist. And so I basically went out on tour from 2012, I say 2010, I mean 2012, uh, all the way up until uh, the summer of 2019. Um, my very last tour was uh, overseas in 2000, summer of 2019. So what had happened was I came back, I started touring pretty consistently, which was awesome because I loved that. And and I was able to like, we would leave town, catch the bus at, you know, you know, it was Thursday, leave town, do a series of shows and be back in town by Sunday. Sunday, I would mow my lawn and do my laundry and my grocery shopping. And then I would go back into writing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and like half a Thursday. So I had the best of both worlds doing that. because so I was able to go off and play, you know, fake rock star for the weekend. And then I was able to come back into my studio and keep building the licensing business. And in 2017, 
September 2017, October, somewhere around there, right around three years ago as we're filming this, um, I did a session for a friend of mine named Rick who uh, asked me to replace guitar on a record. And I said, yeah, just come over to my studio because I have all my gear here. It'd be easier just to do it here if I'm just replacing guitars. So he brought his artist with him. And uh, his artist was a guy named Bill O'Hanlon, who has been just the biggest mentor in my life. And uh, and we took a break. And, and prior to this, as I moved back to Nashville, I got asked to speak at a lot of conferences on licensing. So I would present licensing. So uh, my process. For, I did that for years and then a lot of publishers and artists would hear about me and then they want to get together for coffee and pick my brain and I love talking and I love talking about it so I would do that and in the summer of 2017 it, it had caught up with me because it had gotten to be too much almost literally every day I would have a, a call or an email or someone introducing me to someone else whether it's a big publisher at a major company or a record label or an indie artist here in town who wanted to get together and pick my brain and and I would love doing it but the, the conversation would turn into four hours for a $3, you know, chai tea. And that would eat into my time. And I remember deciding over that summer, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to write out my process. And anytime someone asks me to meet, meet for coffee, I'm going to send them this little book that I wrote. Yeah. Which the book is is what I have the seven the four, four step plan step. the licensing yeah and um, just you know and if you have any questions beyond that then you can call me and so so th that leads us into the session so I did that a couple months prior to this and Bill we took a break and Bill's like so tell me about yourself and I said well this month I just had my two thousand song placement and he goes wow have you ever thought about writing a book and I said actually I have a little book I'll send it to you and and uh, and he goes have you ever thought about doing an online course and I said I'm never going to do an online course. And he's actually, his background is in online courses. He's very well known in the online course world. He speaks at a lot of these conferences. Um, and uh, and uh, and he goes, why not? And I was like, because those are the guys who stand in front of their Lamborghinis and they're like, I have an online, you know, look at my Lamborghini. You're looking at my other Lamborghini. I'm gonna show you how to make tons of money. And uh, and over the next three months, uh, well, actually that, that evening when he left my studio, he gave me a copy of one of his books. He's written 38 books. And I went to, we left town. I had to do a Northeast run. I think we went up to like Connecticut, and West Virginia and stuff like that. And uh, and that whole run, those three shows, I read this guy's book. And uh, it's called Do One Thing Different, great book. And uh, and I uh, got back into town on Sunday and I called him on Monday and I said, Bill, would you mentor me? <laughs> and so he was the one who spent the next three months saying, Michael, you need to put together an online course. And, uh, and so after three months, I was finally convinced and he really brought it home. He goes, look at all these people that you can reach with an online course. You teach it, you get it out there, you can reach all these people. And it just made sense. So I did it and I put it out and then I learned how to, you know, really promote it uh, over the over the first nine months of 2018. And um, which I didn't run, run ads or anything like that. It was just literally being on podcasts and sharing this process with people. And, and um, I, I got to tell you, it is the most... Uh, it is the most personally satisfying thing I've ever done. Uh, I went from the, the mindset of, well, I'll just do this and put it out there to something that I look forward every day to getting up and seeing the emails and seeing the the, the, the conversations that are taking place inside the, the, the private group for the enrollees. Sure. And I absolutely love it because I love the impact that this process 
is having on other musicians because it's a process that it works you follow it it will get you there that is absolutely true and uh, i am trimming <laughs> my <laughs> tracks and preparing my album uh for submission now let's go a little deeper and talk about why do you think i mean of course you have the placements you've made the money but why do you think that John Johnson, who's sitting out there watching us talk with his guitar, why should he consider licensing over being a rock star? Why? Well, I think you should be a rock star because you know uh, that was that was the st still the greatest the greatest experience of my life really has been playing and touring, and I've really had a lot of time to think about it this week. As well, unfortunately, a very good friend of mine who I spent the entire time since I was in Nashville touring with these multiple artists. Unfortunately, uh, uh, on we're filming this on a, on, a, on a Thursday. Unfortunately, on Sunday night he was killed in an accident, and uh, just devastating. But but you know, it's a, lot, a lot of my friends we've all been talking about it, and all we. It, it's funny because I think like the when I think about him, I, I just have to smile because I think. I had so many great times out traveling this country with him, playing for people in these clubs. Not, I not, we didn't play bars, but playing in these clubs and meeting people and just the experience of going into a new town and then finding the vinyl record shop and, and meeting people. I mean, that to me is absolutely amazing. And I'm so thankful to have been able to, to do a lot of traveling and playing in the last, you know, I guess it would be uh, eight years of, of my life and, and, and touring. It's been a great itch to scratch. And uh, I think everyone should pursue the artist's pursuit. Uh, I think there comes a point though, and for me, it was really an age thing, um, where there comes a point where you just have to go, I'm ready to do something else that's going to be consistent. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I got tired of, of, um, I got, I got tired of that struggle aspect of doing the artist thing. And, and there's a lot of rejection that comes with it. And to me, the thing that I loved about licensing that really drew me to it was the fact that I got turned down by every publisher and record label. I mean, I am a, I am a poster child for failure in that side. But by the same point, it, it's amazing that uh, I have had so much success with the, with the licensing side. And to me, that's been such a joy because I write a song, I put it out and it gets accepted. And by accepted, I mean it gets placed somewhere and it, and it, and it generates some placements. And, uh, and, and of course the money, you know, I actually was, was, and I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but we can, cause I actually was writing notes earlier today. I, um, I was just going over a song. Now you're in, you're in the mastermind group. You might remember a, a uh, track that I posted where I actually talked about like, nylon string acoustic guitar it was a two song you know b minor to, to g it was a two song chord yeah. and i was thinking about that recently uh well basically because we got another royalty statement uh you know recently and uh and i and i was looking at that song and i did this video for the group that you're a part of a year and a half ago and how much money that one song brought in that one placement. And to be honest with you, when I get my statements, I don't break it down. I don't look at what each song is doing. But as I was scrolling through it, I saw this one. I was like, oh my gosh, that song is still bringing in money. And uh, and so I thought, well, I should go and see if it still is. Like, like uh, you know, again, I didn't analyze every statement. So I went through my last six statements uh, from September 10th, 2020 back to 
the 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 June twenty first statement from BMI back in twenty nineteen. So it's six statements back. Yeah. And I and I looked at all of them. I stopped looking at that point. And I calculated what that song, that two chord song, from one placement on one TV show that just keeps getting rerun, has generated. And the total generation in those six statements is twenty thousand five hundred and three dollars and twelve cents. So when people say like, why should I get into licensing? Well, you know what? If you want to write a two chord song <laughs> that can generate, you know, over twenty thousand dollars in in six in in, uh, in in a year and a half or over six statements, and that's just one one song. That's not that's not vocal song. That's literally. I, if I could give you an example of one chord song, I would give you that. But I don't have a one chord song. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Not yet. Maybe I'll do one right just to see what happens. But here's two chords, and it literally is the B minor to G over and over. It's a song called "Delve to the Deep," and and the total generation. I didn't go back further than the, that uh, six statement back, but but that to me, that one song. That's just one song, um, you know. And and to me, the whole aspect when it comes to licensing for me, people ask like, how much can one song make? Well, it it can make a lot, but you're never going to retire on one song placement. Um, but the but for me, it's about consistency. You know, if 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 this one stupid two chord song is bringing in, and actually, by the way, I did the average. The average, uh, well, it's, it's ridiculous. The average, uh, and it's rounded. The average is is um, thirty uh, thirty four hundred dollars a um, a statement, right? That's the average. It's, it's like and change, but yeah. okay. Yeah. But but when you factor that, if you can do that times ten. Or or times twenty, or you know thirty or forty. As you start getting more and more consistent placements, now granted that's an average, but let's just go and let's just say that the average is we'll lower it. Let's just say it's two thousand. You know, let's say that's two thousand. Well, if you can do that ten times in a statement, in a quarterly statement, that's twenty thousand dollars. And you do that four times throughout the year, that's eighty thousand dollars. That's eighty thousand dollars that you've made on your back-end royalties uh, on songs that you've written in your life because you've licensed them to TV shows. Absolutely. That's more than what most people make in a year. That's true. So, why get into licensing? I mean, I don't. If, if that doesn't convince you, I don't know what can. <laughs> or, or if you're in a band, a five-piece band, you know, yeah. and you're touring, or you sign a record label, and after the recoups and and all of the money is dribbled. You know, you're not gonna get twenty thousand yourself. Yeah. You know, you're you're yeah. gonna get more like thirteen dollars an hour. You know, right. uh, Burger yeah. King wages. Truly. Now let's I, let's let's play a game. Sure, let's play it. Let's play a, a master music licensing game. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're going to tell us what you love about the course, and as as a teacher. Okay. The founder, and then I'm gonna tell you what I love about the course. Okay. And just my observation and interactions with it. Uh, are you asking me like as far as what I love about the course, any particular topic or the or the result of just, it? Yeah, just the, the the course itself. Just in in in. I mean, I don't want to. I'm gonna spill. I have an I have an answer. Course. I have an answer for you. What, you. what I like about this course, uh, and and I think what differentiates it. And by the way, there are other people who teach licensing, sure. and and I think that if you really want to learn licensing, you should learn from multiple people. Because I'm giving you a process that has worked for me, but it is my process. And if you learn from one el another person, you're going to learn their process, and a lot of it will be the same. 
because it's an industry. A lot of it's going to be the same, but you're going to get some nuggets from me that are different from them. And you're going to get some nuggets from them that are different than me. And if you can put it together, that's really a master's degree in licensing. What I'm giving you in the course is a bachelor's degree. And the reality is none of us learn from one teacher. And I'd be foolish to say this is, I mean, it really is all you need to get there, but I'd be foolish to say like, you know, you only take this course, take it. But you know, look, courses are so affordable that you can take another person's program and literally for under $3,000, you're getting yourself a bachelor's degree in an entire topic. But that that being said, the thing that I like about this course and the thing that I think is extremely unique about it, as opposed to some of the other programs that are out there that I am familiar with, is that this is a step-by-step process. And that's just the way that my mind works with everything. Uh, and that starts probably from back in the day when I was learning how to play guitar. I would create little systems to become better on it in a shorter amount of time. And so to me, everything that I do is based around creating a process. So this is there's no guesswork involved. And I think that's the thing I really enjoy about it and uh, that I like about teaching it is that you go through step one and then you take your song into step two. And then, then when you're done with step two, your song is automatically in step three. And then when you're on step three, you're automatically in step four. And at that point, that's when you're starting to secure the licenses with the song. And then you go back to step one again with your next song. And you take each step. So there's no question about what's coming next. There's no guesswork involved. And it's all laid out there. And that is my favorite aspect of it in that it literally leaves no stone unturned or no confusion of, well, what is next? Well, here's the thing. If... And, and, and this is kind of one thing that comes up a lot with, with musicians who go through it. Um, for example, we all know IS, ISRC codes, right? Correct. Okay, so I do have a little uh, video on ISRC codes in the course, but the reason why it's in the course is because I tell you why they're irrelevant to licensing, right? And 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 the thing is is with that is in, in my licensing course, I never tell you how to get an ISRC code because an ISRC code tracks sales. We are not doing sales, we are doing licenses. However, the thing with this is that if, if the question comes up in step one, like, well, you know, what do I do? How do I get ISRC codes? The reality is that if it's not in step one, it's irrelevant to the licensing process. It doesn't mean it's irrelevant to your business. It just means it's irrelevant to the licensing business. Same thing with step two. As you take your step two, step two, well, what do I do about sound exchange? If we're not discussing it in step two, it's irrelevant to the licensing business. Sound exchange does not place pay based on licenses, by the way. Uh, so same thing with that. And, and those are the kinds of questions that, that I've noticed come up a lot. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Here's the thing. If it's not in the system, it's not that it's irrelevant to your career. It's irrelevant to the process. And, and I think that's, that's, that's the whole aspect that I love about the process, the program is that this is the process. It's what I do. Uh, 100% of what I do is that exact process. There's nothing that I do that is not in the course. So the way that I look at it is, is when people say like, oh, you've had 2000 placements and, and whatnot. Yeah. I'm a product of this process. That's it. Those 2000 placements are a product of that process. That example that I gave you of Delve to the Deep, totally generating over $20,000 in the last year and a half, just one two chord song. That is a product of that process. And that's what I like about the course. Wow, that, that's that's great. That's, <laughs> that's a great answer from the founder <laughs> and the designer of the course. You know, and, and I, I guess seeing it from a student's eyes, first of all, what attracted me, and I think we talked about this before hitting record, was the fact that uh, you were not a hype guy. You just mm -hmm. didn't, there was no hype involved. Um, it wasn't like, hey, take it or leave it, but you know, you were not the de facto guy. You presented, this is what you need and this is why you need it. And that appealed to me. 
The second thing was the fact that, um, you know, the videos are bite-sized videos that anybody, whether they know the music business, whether they have 120 uh, years experience, or whether they're just knocking on the door, that they are able to say, okay, hey, that's accessible to me. That's easy enough for me to understand. And I can play that video a hundred times and get it into my psyche so I can understand how we're getting on the on-ramp to how licensing actually works. I really dig the why that you put into the videos, not necessarily just what you need to do, one, two, three, four, but why you need to do one, two, three, four. That appealed yeah. to me. And then being a part of the community in the private uh, uh, social page yeah. is absolutely engaging because oh, yeah. it's an ongoing experience that you're learning, putting out questions, making statements. And even I've seen this happen over and over again, where one student is helping the other student along, yeah. making yeah. a connection, actual yeah. networking, not just networking for networking's sake, but just, hey, yeah. I know this person. Why don't you email him and tell him you know that's happened. That's that's the whole concept though behind a mastermind. You know, a mastermind group is not one person running the group and then answering questions. A mastermind group is one person facilitating the group and having all the individuals help each other out. And that's why I call it the private music uh, licensing mastermind group because it's a mastermind group on music licensing from people at all different levels helping each other out. And the goal with that group was not just to be a thing where I show up and teach. I mean, I'm doing that in the course. Sure. The goal with that group was was to create something to where other musicians with, with the same mindset of pursuing the same goal can come together and connect with each other. And that's really the purpose of that of that of that mastermind. It's so that it's really for you to connect with someone who lives in like you know Nevada or whatever you know, and and, and write a song together. These are people you would have never been able to meet otherwise, you know. And and it's it's a way for you to connect and create profitable relationships that are intentional. You know, a lot of times we just fall into like you know I'm a, I'm a guitar player and the guy down the road's a bass player, so we're going to get together and write songs. You know, it's it's convenient, but this is this is intentional. This is where you can find the right people. For no matter where they're living, who are on the same path. You guys are on the path to, to getting down the road of, of, of licensing your songs. And that is the focus when you get together and write. And so that's why I, I created that group. And that's why I, I keep it as lifetime membership because I don't feel like that's something that you should, you know, like, I guess I just feel, I, and it's probably just the fact that I'm just a lifelong musician. Yes. You know, I grew up in a music community. Woodstock, New York is a music community and music is important for the soul and the human experience. And, um, you know, I, uh, I I just couldn't bring myself to be like, okay, you have to, you have to pay me every, you know, 12 months to get access. I just yeah. couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, you know, that that's the other thing too, because you continue to add value. There are all these bonus uh, videos yeah. uh, that are part of it. And I think when you, it, the, the cool thing is to look in my inbox and you have a cool idea and you just want to try it out and hey, we're automatically in because you had a great idea. So, mm -hmm. you know, so thank you. So that, that that's one of the, that's one of the genuine uh, value uh, assets that I get from yeah. your course. Good. I really, I really do dig it. I really do absolutely recommend it. And another thing I recommend is that you and I have another conversation soon because absolutely. it seems like you and I can talk about another four hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like we're just getting started, you know. You know the the, the I, yeah. I I know what you mean. I think just just in general, music is fun to talk about. I think business is fun to talk about. 
business in the sense of running your music business, you know, uh, not in corporate business, but but having the focus on because that's because really what is business? Business is just the exchange of value for money. That's all it is, right? And and that's what we're doing as musicians. We're exchanging value, which is our song, which is our intellectual property. And we all need money to survive. So, you know, like we're exchanging that song for money. All of us want that because we all need it. And uh, and whether it's whether it's getting on stage at, you know, Bobby's Bar and Grill and playing a show and, and you know, exchanging our songs for people to either leave in a tip jar or for Bobby to pay us for the for the show, or we're supplying music to music supervisors and music editors to get to, for for licensing and a TV show because at that point we're serving them, we're serving the storytellers, the the director, the producer, the the production company. We're helping them tell their story. We're a service to them, uh, or even just our fans, you know, uh, by you know giving letting them buy a record and listen to it and enjoy our music in the car. The reality is. Music has value, and and unfortunately, I think that that a lot of musicians have just given into the fact that because of streaming and all that stuff, that music is free. And I get it; it, it has become that way. But we have to look at the music that we create as having value, and so we have to approach that with a business mindset. How can we exchange that value, which allows us to keep doing what we're passionate about? That's correct. That is absolutely correct. And that is the underbelly of the entree musician. Without that, that's why you are the ultra entree musician. <laughs> I, <laughs> own, I, it. I, own it, Michael. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Entrepreneurship is fun, but uh, yeah. And I, by the way, I love the name of the podcast. The entree musician is phenomenal. What a great name. Because it's true. In order to be successful, every successful artists i mean you look at like even the taylor swifts and the justin timberlakes and stuff like that i mean they are entrepreneurs absolutely you know Without and uh, yeah absolutely and uh and, and and i enjoy that that's something i didn't understand when i was growing up playing in bands and you know, i i wish i could go back to my 18 year old self or 20 year old self or 25 year old self and in a music business yeah. We're starting a business, just like if we were to start a coffee shop down at the end of the street. We're starting a business. Yes, and it requires a mindset shift in how we approach that, you know? Yeah, man. And can I say one more thing? Sure, absolutely. Okay. You can say I, and I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to talk about money. I want to talk about money because we're on entrepreneurship. Yeah, man. I want to talk about the money thing for a second because a lot of musicians are always talking about like how they don't have money. Oh, I don't have money, you know, or a hundred dollars for uh, for you know that plugin. Oh my gosh, or a thousand dollars for this pre. I can't afford a thousand dollars, and and I get it because I had that mindset. I mean, I was poor for a long time, um, uh, you know, my my twenties and stuff. And I had that mindset like, oh god, I can't go buy an Avalon Seven Thirty Seven. I'm gonna, what am I gonna do? You know, I'll buy I'll buy this cheap little thing by Art for like one hundred twenty seven dollars. You know, and um, it sounds like garbage anyway. So it doesn't really it's a, it's a waste of money. It just sounds as bad as the regular inputs on your like on your inbox. Uh, but anyway, um, right? But but the thing is, is that what I learned, and this was this was a big mindset shift for me. And I like for example. I pulled out this guitar earlier, this nylon string guitar, right? Yeah. This was my first purchase when I moved to Los Angeles. Wow. And when I moved to LA, I didn't have any money. Uh, I mean, I had a couple thousand dollars that I was living on to you know, get through the next couple months, but um, I think I had like $3,000 to my name. And, uh, and I got hired to play guitar in a session and they needed nylon string guitar. And I didn't have a nylon string guitar. And I remember I went to uh, Guitar Center 
and I bought that thing and I was like, I don't know, 650 bucks. I put up my credit card and I was like, oh God, I just, I don't have the money, but I, I need it. And they're going to pay me a little bit of money for this, and, but whatever, it's not going to pay for the good. But whatever that mindset I had was, and I was like, well, I, I'm at least, I'm going to do it. Maybe I can bring it back, you know? And I bought it and I ended up doing the session and I got paid for it. And then I ended up getting hired a couple weeks later to play nylon string on another session. And then I got hired a couple weeks later to play nylon string on another session. Before you know it, the nylon string guitar was paid off probably within like my first uh, one and a half uh, payments to my visa card. And, um, and, and, and that, that's just a slight example. But the thing is, is that the mindset of, look, if you're looking at these things, and, and this is what I wish I, I learned then, but we, we learned through experience, you know, and I had a mentor who ultimately finally, you know, gave me the mindset shift. But if we look at things like the investment of a thousand dollars into like a, a, a preamp or a nice microphone in anything like that, the reality is that if we're looking at that as a thousand dollars, oh my gosh, it's a lot of money. Then we will never be able to charge someone a thousand dollars when it comes to licensing our songs. Right. Same thing, whether it's five thousand dollars in your gear or your system and your plugin or whatever, your plugins and your or whatnot. When you have the mindset of, oh my God, I can't spend five thousand dollars investing in, in a recording gear, it's way too much money, then you're never gonna be able to turn around and and charge someone that because you cannot not invest a certain amount of money to solve your problem, but then turn around and ask someone else for that same amount of money to solve theirs. It's just it just can't happen. And that to me is a big mindset shift that I think a lot of musicians have. Thankfully, I, I you know I had mine, but but that really was the big difference between me being the starving, struggling musician to finally crossing over and becoming successful. Is like, okay, in order for me to get to that next level, I do have to make those investments. I do have to scale up the gear. But what's funny is once you start doing that, I mean. You know, you, you don't even think twice about it. I mean, $650 at one point was a lot of money to buy a guitar. Now it's like $650 to buy a new, I mean, I'd be blessed to buy a new microphone preamp for 650 bucks all day long because because I see the value that's going to come back out of it very quickly. That's you know? right. So, and that's an entrepreneur's mindset. Yes, sir. You know? And that's that that's amazing. And, and you don't know how, you don't know how deeply you're speaking into my spirit because of just what we went through in August, where we were the end of October and, and where we were in August, you know, as a family and what I was facing and to be able to say, okay, God, you know, I, I'm starting from ground zero. I really am. And to, to think I'll never be able to. So you're right, because wh where I was, Michael, was, well, I'm going to get the second best. I came from here, but I'll yeah. just settle for this. And by God's grace and through perseverance and just plowing through, yeah. we're back. Yeah, it's amazing how that happens. You amazing know, how it happens. You know, Bob Proctor says that it doesn't take a dime to make a decision. Once yeah. you make the decision, it comes yep. together. But you yep. have to make the decision. You mm -hmm. can't have the mindset of, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. Because you know what? You're right. If that's the way you think, yep. then you're right. You're correct. Yep. But if you can do it and you have that perseverance, if you don't know anybody from Woodstock, New York, to Florida, to Nashville, to LA, yeah. Well, that that's just a matter of going out and talking. But but you know, it's kind of like what you said. It's 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 that thing of like you know. I, I love the Henry Ford phrase. You know, if you think you can, you're right, and if you think you can't, you're right. And then there's the other attitude of you know. I play with a lot of musicians who were always have had the negative scarcity mindset. Oh, I don't have any money. I I could never do this because I don't. I could never afford this. And my thing is like, 
you have to ask yourself, how can I? Because when you start by saying like, oh, I can never afford, you know, a new car or whatever. Well, yeah, your brain shuts down and it never looks for ways to afford a new car. But when you go, you know, my car's on its last leg. How do I afford a new car? Suddenly that the, the inner workings of your brain, you know, God created this thing that people can't even figure out how it works yet. It's pretty amazing, right? That's but but it will start working and it will start finding those avenues for you. And to me, I think, you know, I just naturally have a mindset of, uh, I, I tend to be happy and I tend to be very optimistic. And and so I think for me, I was always like, well, I'm gonna do this. You know, oh, you're never gonna make it as a musician. Why not? I'm totally gonna do it. And then you find those avenues. Now it wasn't the path I thought I was gonna take to get there, but sure. you find you find the, the things from where you're at, you find the next opportunity and you jump into it, you find the next opportunity, you jump into it. You see an opportunity, it might not be a good one, you're telling you it's not a good one, say no, you know, the, you know, whatever. That's and right. um, you have discernment, you have discernment. And many times I've walked into a room and just there was a feeling and it's like, you know, this is not gonna be the right person. Yeah. And when I've ignored the feeling, it wasn't the right person <laughs> you know yeah. it's just, just the way it is but yeah and you're right this is our sec this will have to be our second conversation because all right the scarcity mindset is something that i absolutely my wife and i god bless her we we went in this process and that was another determining factor in getting into master music licensing because it's like we have to break our brains yeah. and after celebrating 25 years of marriage we've been through the ups and through the downs sure. god has blessed us tremendously and it's like, okay, how do you, how do you envision the next 25 years? And that's, we said, we're going to break our brains. We're not going to make the same mistakes. Yeah. We're not going to think the way we did. And it was like, okay, Jerry, what are you going to do? Because you're doing the jazz thing. You did the touring, you did the recording. Okay. What's next? Yeah. Wow. You know, I never really considered licensing, but there was yeah. this guy named Michael. And so we watched her, you know, um, 15 minute, you know, I don't want to call it an infomercial, but you're in between. Oh, one, one, one of the training. You know? Yeah, one of the little trainings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, and we watched and it's like, okay, well, you know, that's something we can get into. And I'm, I'm really psyched. Good. I'm psyched about what's going to happen. There's oh, a lot of opportunity for you, man. There's so much opportunity in it that you should be excited. You have a lot of reason to be I'm excited. And you know, here's the other thing. I got to tell you this because of the fact that the one thing that appealed to me with respect to licensing, because if you're if you're a jazz guy or you're a funk guy or you're a rock guy, with licensing, you can just be a guy or a girl who plays whatever these downloads are, and there may be a place for them. Maybe they're not, but you don't have to be pigeonholed into thinking one way. Yeah. It's so rigid. And yeah. I'm a strange dude, so my music is strange and we can open up. I think that's yep. probably the reason I'm, I'm with you 100%. I think it's probably the reason why I never got that publishing deal, you know, because I'm like, I, I grew up listening to like 70s and 70s progressive rock, you know, like yep. bands like Yes and Kansas and then getting to the 90s bands like Dream Theater and stuff. So, you know, and of course, just being more of the technician guitar player. So I think I just never gravitated to the simple pop, <laughs> you know, but um but, and I always look for reasons to play solos anyway, but uh, <laughs> but I think that's one of the reasons why licensing was was opened up its door because yeah, the music that I wrote, you know, like I say, like, I'm never gonna write a, a, a pop song for Justin Timberlake. And to be honest with you, I don't want to. Gotcha. 
you know if it happens wonderful but i am not i see national musicians all the time that i that i meet songwriters who are like you know they're trying to write songs for these people and i think god that just sounds awful <laughs> yes yeah i understand it i really i really do and I, I i know i've been told you know several times i don't know i mean even for smooth jazz radio we've been blessed to have a, a song chart you know we made the top 10 for like two weeks that was oh, great cool. awesome praise god that's fine you know but we've done some other things and we've worked with some producers that's like you know what you know take that wah-wah off that bass because that's not going to make it on smooth jazz radio. yeah you go yeah but i like the wah-wah but you yeah. got to play the game if you want to get as a matter of fact i'll tell you this my wife god bless her because we were playing consistently on the weather channel our stuff was on the weather channel. oh cool okay yeah 2004 through 2007 we're just like okay. in that era every yeah. weather on the eights they're playing this smooth jazz and a lot of i always wondered who wrote that music <laughs> well you know i mean we we didn't write all of it but yeah. because of their bmi license you know they took a lot of sound off and stuff and sure so that was really cool that was it that was a great vibe but i got a call from the music director who said you know, this last submission you did, we we are not going to use the flute. We can't use the flute on it. I'm thinking, what? It's, it's crazy. Well, you, can you send me another mix? And the purest in me was like, to the nah. I'm, you know, that's that's the submission. What, what's up, right? Yeah. And my wife was like, hey. I'm digging the royalty checks. Yeah. yeah. So we got an acoustic player to send it in, but it was like, these are the hoops that you have to jump through. Yeah. And the musician in you just wants to be free, just wants yeah. to say, this is the way it came to me. And this is the way I want to present it to the world. But everybody well, can't be Prince or Stevie. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But you know, the thing is, is, is that with, with the thing I love about licensing is see, like, I don't care how people use my music on a show i don't i don't care if they use the acoustic mix or the drum and bass mix right. or they take the stems and they read i don't care because these are very skilled individuals sure who are doing their job to help tell the story visually and if i can provide something that helps them do that that's great but when i create my final mix of the song like my full mix the final full mix that's my vision for it, Got it. all the other mixes that i provide that's for them and and let them do it and and whatever and I, I know some people are very possessive well i don't want them you know changing up the well you know then maybe this isn't the, the right, right route for you right right but but it doesn't mean that you can't make your own full mix you like you create your version of it and then let your end users in the and and you're know, like the people on the weather channel yes. maybe it was maybe because the flute was kind of getting in the way who knows maybe the dialogue or something like that you know exactly but, but maybe if that song was was played during a scene on Grey's Anatomy, the full version would be great. And so it's like, to me, I feel that the role of a musician when we're writing music for, for TV is is we are ser we are serving the story and the end, end users who are going to utilize that song and, and manipulate that track how they need to to tell the story. But that's what we're doing. We're helping someone else tell their story. You know? Absolutely. I agree. And I have my beautiful wife as a barometer. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome. So story, Jerry. You know. It's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. But my, my friend and brother, thank you so much for the time that oh, you absolutely. to hang out. It will not, yeah. as your schedule allows, be our last conversation. Oh, I hope not, man. This is a good time. It's, it's a great time. I've, I've had fun. I knew I would. I knew I would. <laughs> That's why I practiced on that introduction the way I did. So. That's awesome. That was a good one. That was a good one.
I may have to like, you know, when, when that comes out, I may have to write it down and hand it to other people and be like, do this one. <laughs> oh man, well, thank you so much. Listen, Master Music Licensing, uh, Michael at Master Music Licensing, I guess is the best way to reach out to you. Uh, you've yeah. always been accessible. If there's any other way that you would rather people get into the on-ramp or when will you be opening up uh, uh, a new course oh. or so so uh yeah i actually uh, i can i can give you the update on, on what's what's been happening um i actually just this last week as we're filming uh, i just released the the course is now available at all time Excellent. uh i i've now i've created uh you know as i've been doing this i've been learning that a lot of people come in at different levels uh you know when i created the course like i said the, the course is is it's like an arrow like we start here and we go here yeah. and, and and we don't divert from from that path at all yeah. uh so but i've learned uh that and, and it's important not to divert from that path by the way but i've learned that people come into the licensing world at different points in their career some people come in you know not even having recorded a piece of music other people come in going like i've got seven albums you know <laughs> so people come in at different levels right. and so i've created a number of different uh things to meet people along the way so uh, if anyone's interested you know you can go to mastermusiclicensing.com there's a um there's a um uh, it's called sync programs is a button at the top you can click on sync programs and you can see what i have offered uh if you're beginning and you just don't know where to start obviously i tell you to download the book it's free um but if you want to take the book to the next level uh, uh i have a master class it's extremely affordable it's uh, 37 dollars i think yeah right when you come in it's 37 dollars uh, if you get it when you come in, if it's on, on the on the website a little later, it's a different price. And then um, I have I, what I'm so excited about right now is a seven day challenge that I, I, I have I've run it twice now. Uh, and the response has been unbelievable. And again, that's super affordable. That's only forty seven dollars, like super cheap. But we start at one point and we go through it. And then as you want to ascend up the learning process, we ascend into ultimately the, the licensing program, which is the full framework. So basically that being said, there's something available at all time on the website that can take you to the next level, depending on where you're at. And if you're just starting, uh, even if you do have the money, I would, I would encourage you, the licensing course is probably not the beginning for you. I, I would encourage you to start at, at, the, at the very least, like the, ma the, the master class, because the licensing course is really geared to being you, you you have to have your music ready by the time you start the licensing course sure you know and so and so it, it is more like intermediate advanced so that being said uh, but yeah everything is at mastermusiclicensing.com if you're curious to see what the current offerings are and what would work best for you just go to the sync programs tab and you can click on any of those you can read all about them you can see which way would be easiest for us to work together depending on where you're at in your career that's excellent absolutely excellent it's my honor I'm humbled. I look forward to many, many more conversations. Oh, and uh, at some point, I'm going to ask you, like you did, Bob, please mentor me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love it, man. I, I'm looking forward to uh, to uh, to your first big, big license and hearing all of that because it's coming. It's you coming. know, it's coming. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Michael Elsner, founder director of master music licensing you'll see it right at the top of the screen and get in touch with him check out one of the courses start with the master class as he said get in where you fit in because yeah. he has a course 
for you. Uh, you'll see much more of him, but you'll hear, listen to your TV. You will hear this guy on your TV commercial. <laughs> you know, uh, even if you go to work, you may be listening to a corporate video. That the oh, yeah. music is coming from Michael Eisner. He's just ubiquitous. So check him out. And it's been my honor to have this great conversation with you. And so, yeah, that was the ultra entree musician, Michael Elsner. Go to his website at mastermusiclicensing.com. Avail yourself to some of the great resources there and consider taking a class. Absolutely. I, as I explained before, I am a student. I am on the precipice of my music submissions for the songs that I have written for licensing. And I trust that a year from now, I will be able to come back to this microphone and say, yo, check a brother out. <laughs> it works. So thank you so much for hanging out with us. I know you enjoyed yourself. I hope you come to the entremusician.com, kick the tires, check out our community page and our resources, get involved. And uh, by all means, tell everybody you know that you hang out at the Entree Musician. We graciously receive any donations that you consider giving and thank you for the many of you who have helped us to keep the train on the tracks. We absolutely uh, pour everything back into this work, making sure that we are doing our best to add value to you personally and professionally. So once again, thank you to all of those who have contributed. We'll put the cash app in the show notes. You can reach out to me directly at theentremusician at gmail.com or you can text me directly at 330-718-5373. That translates into 718-J-E-R-E if that's easier for you to remember. Always appreciating you, grateful for you helping to spread the word. My name is Jerry B. As we said before, that was Michael Elsner. I am the Entree Musician, but here's the key. So are you. Hey, we will see you next time. God bless.